I was running down the road one day and the state trooper got behind the lights flashing. He didn't pay no attention to him and he rode about a mile. Finally, he saw the lights. He pulled off the side of the road. The trooper said, Man, didn't you realize you were speeding? He said, I tell you what, it's Friday, four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm tired. I'm fixing to go home for the weekend. If you'll give me an excuse that I ain't ever heard before, I'll let you go. He said, He said, Wilson. About five years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper. I thought she was bringing her back. <laughs> fun being a Christian, eh? amen. We have fun too. God didn't say you couldn't have fun. Joy is part of the one of the spirits, you know, so you need to have that in the system. Uh, trip hit me on number five. Oh, I 
It said, therefore, whoever confesses to me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. I just want you to know that I, I want to confess before men that I believe in Jesus Christ. So here's a little song about heaven. <laughs> Savior, we enter the glory land. Won't it be wonderful there? And in the troubles and cares of the story land, won't it be wonderful there? Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. Joyously singing, 
with heart bells a ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Yes. Walking and talking with Christ the supernal one. Won't it be wonderful there? Praising, adoring the matchless eternal one. Won't it be wonderful there? Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. Joyously singing with heart bells ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? There where the tempest will never be sweeping us. Won't it be wonderful there? Sure that forever the Lord will be keeping us. Won't it be wonderful there? Won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear. Gloriously singing with heart bells ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Gloriously singing with heart bells ringing. Oh, won't it be wonderful there?
Thank you, Bobby. You're exactly right. We celebrate God's birthday and the fact that he, he came here to earth to, to live and be with us. So St. Patrick's Day is really not about our friend the leprechaun. He's cute, but that's not the real, real meaning of St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick was, his real name to start off with was Patrick. And he lived in the country of England with his family. And he was about 16 years old when some people from Ireland kidnapped him. And do you know what kidnapping means? You're exactly right. Thank you very much. That meant they took him a long ways away from his family. They took him all the way to the country of Ireland and they made him a slave. And do we know what a slave is? What is it, Gavin? They don't exactly work. Well, they do work. They work without money. You do what, if you're a slave, if, you're, if I am your slave, I do whatever you tell me to do. It, it, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. I have to do it. And if not, then chances are that you would get upset and maybe beat you. So Patrick didn't have a lot of fun when he was kidnapped. In fact, he missed his family. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to be with his family in school with his friends. So he was forced to stay in a country that, where he didn't want to be and then to be their slave. Well, after about five or six years, guess what? He got a chance to escape. And when he got a chance to escape, guess where he went? Right straight back to where? He went right straight back to his home and to his family. And his family was so glad to see him. But that had been five years later. So he was, what, maybe 21, 22 years old? That's what he did. He studied and became a preacher. And he started telling other people about Jesus and his love. Now here's where the story really gets great. Guess where he went to tell other people about Jesus and his love? Church. He went to church for which he went right back to Ireland. He went right back to the people that had kidnapped him and been so mean to him. So instead of doing something ugly or mean to those people, what did he do? He turned a bad situation into a good one, did he not? He went back to Ireland and he went back to tell those that had kidnapped him and been so mean and so ugly about Jesus and his love. And do you know what? Those folks listened. They started praying and they invited Jesus to come into their hearts. And before it was all said and done, Ireland, instead of not believing and loving in God, they became a Christian country. All because of a 16-year-old boy who turned a really bad situation, a scary situation, into a good one. So you know what the lesson for us is? Today's lesson is, if someone's mean or ugly to us, what should we do to them? We should pray for them. You're exactly right. I love your answers. You're doing great. We should pray for them. Should we do anything mean or bad back to them? Do two, do two wrongs make a right? No. No. It does not. Two wrongs do not make a right. We should do something nice back to the folks that have done something mean like Patrick did. 
And that's how he became known as St. Patrick. And that's what God wants us to do in our lives. If someone's mean or someone's not being nice to us, we pray for them and we do something nice. Maybe if you're at school and you've got somebody that's being mean or ugly, now that COVID's down and passed and gone away, maybe you take um, maybe you take a candy or something with them and say, hey, let's be friends. God loves you and so do I. You know? All right. I have a father. These children are young. Dear Lord, please help them to understand that two wrongs don't make the right. Help the adults to understand that more than ever in these days, dear Lord. Help these families to be strong and to do what's right in your eyes. Help us to spread your love and Jesus' love wherever we go. God bless these families. Watch over and take care of them for their sickness. I pray for help. And dear Lord, most of all, keep them out of harm's way and back to us next Sunday. What's in your name, I pray. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary, and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in misery and shame because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Dear God, I come before you right now. And I know in a lot of ways I can speak as if you are 
the God who redeems, who breaks bars of iron that are holding me in, who rescues me from captivity to my own struggles, to my sins, to the wrath that I am under from you. But I also know, Jesus, that there are tons more darkness around me. And it seems like, Lord, that darkness sometimes is in me. And I need to be reminded of your wonders, of your loving kindness that comes to set me free. God, would you remind us of your power to break chains and open prison doors and to chase away the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you heard some of the the concepts or thoughts that we've been talking about with the children of Israel when it says they were hungry, right? Wandering in the wilderness. I hope you heard some of those themes reiterated in that psalm, Psalm 107. I didn't read all of it, just a portion of it. And I hope you heard how they were away from the Lord and acting out of rebellion. And when God sent discipline and they finally cried out to him, then he would send rescue for them. I hope you're reminded of everything we've talked about. I hope you're reminded of, of the fact that God rescued the children of Israel out of slavery, out of their bondage, and brought them into freedom. And he did so, remember the last plague was the Passover. He did so through the trust in a sacrifice. So we're rescued from bondage into freedom by trust in a sacrifice of a spotless lamb. You know, and then we get in the wilderness with the children of Israel and, and all the darkness that was a part of their lives, God was allowing them to be put in situation after situation after situation where the light shined in on their darkness and called out their lack of trust for what it was. And in order for this sinful people full of darkness, facing the dark world around them, in order for God to walk with them on a regular basis, they had to be, number one, qualified by that first sacrifice and also kept clean and purified for His presence by continual sacrifices year after year after year. And that's what the tabernacle was all about. And that's what the book of Leviticus is all about. And that's what all the law was pointing to. God says, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. But you are a rebellious and obstinate people. And if I hang with you, I'm going to end up destroying you over my love and jealousy for you. And so he says, once a year, I want you to kill a spotless sacrifice. 
and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. We've talked about this. And so all through life, the way we walk with God, the way we are qualified to be in His presence is by something else that doesn't deserve to die being taking the wrath of God for us as our substitute. And so therefore the wrath of God no longer gets spilt out on us. It gets poured out on whatever is dying in our place. And so then we are able to relate with God because His wrath is poured somewhere else. It's always been about a sacrifice. It's always been about a way that God provides, both in the qualification for entering the inheritance and also for the continuation of walking in the inheritance. Are y'all with me? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I don't know, as you're turning there, I don't know what darkness you have had to face this week. And a lot of times, well, darkness in general, when I speak of darkness, I speak of sadness and misery. I speak of being caught up, being enslaved, being under the pressure and the power of something that creates just sadness and this um, horror in our lives and we can't break free from it. When I speak of darkness, I'm speaking spiritually. <laughs> Spiritual darkness. And see, all darkness in that manner of speaking has come about because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. But if you and I think about it, most of the darkness that we experience now is as a result of either our own personal sin or the sin of somebody else that's close to us. Right? And there are other things that are just kind of dark for us to walk through that, that we can't blame on ourselves or anybody else, such as, you know, a baby who's, you know, born uh, like Aiden with the failure to thrive. You know, or, or somebody who's can't walk or conditions that are just a result of the fact that we live in a sinful world that there's darkness because of the first choice that Adam and Eve made. But guys, some of us this week have been staring darkness in the face. And some of you, I'm trying to walk through that with you because you have been blessed by God enough to let me know. And you've been courageous enough to let me know. Some of you, I don't know what you're going through. <clears throat> but all I know is I can turn on the news. 
and look at Ukraine and Russia. And I can see darkness square in the face. <coughs> and so this morning, I want you to kind of process those thoughts. This idea of darkness and facing a world that just looks like it is suffocating the light. And I want you to think about your own life and think about the darkness that's there. The result of somebody else's sin or even the result of your own. As we begin to tackle the scriptures before us. And please put your seatbelts on because I got a lot to cover. And I want you to see it. Right? But before we get to the, the concept of darkness, I want you to see this idea of a sacrifice. It says, now even the first covenant, which is the law, which is what we've been talking about, the book of Leviticus, had regulations of divine worship in the earthly sanctuary, which is the tabernacle. Okay? For there was, here we go, there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bed. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. In other words, this was... You know, this is being written in the New Testament times. And this was years ago when this tabernacle was being utilized. It was gone by then. We can't, we can't see this now because it's old and gone. Verse 6. When these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. So, I've said it several times over the last several weeks. You've got the outer courtyard. You've got the holy place that you entered to that first room. And then you've got that second room where the Ark of the Covenant was and the angels, the cherubim with their wings touching like this. And the, that cover called the mercy seat. And what would happen was you sacrifice your animal on the outside in the courtyard as you approach God. You cannot approach God because of his wrath towards sin and darkness. Unless there has been something to satisfy that wrath. And he said from the beginning, in the day that you eat of this, you will surely... God. The, the consequence of sin has always been death. And so something has to take your punishment. And so you would have to slit the throat of the animal, watch the blood pour out, watch the animal die. But before you did that, you would lay your hands on the head of the animal and you would confess your sins and, as if transferring your sins to that animal. Then you would slay the animal so you would have to see what your sin has caused. 
And then as you did that, then the priest would come in once a year and throw blood on the top of the mercy seat. So the presence of God, and, and Moses says, look, Moses' Ten Commandments were in the ark. And so you have the law, which has been broken, and, and God knew that. But what was between you and the law was the blood of a shed and and so God could no longer pour his wrath on you because that animal died in your place. Are y'all with me? Okay. So, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. And so while all of this outer tabernacle is here, you and I, unless we're the priest, we don't know what it's like to enter the holy place. I mean, the holy of holies. And even the holy place, for that matter. We don't know what it's like to go all the way into the presence of God. And during this time, the New Testament time, Israel was continuing, and we'll see this, to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And even the, the Jews of Jesus' day, I mean, they were all over the disciples. Well, why didn't you wash your hands? Like you're supposed to be washing your hands before you eat a meal. You guys are impure. Your disciples just don't get, don't get it. No, it's, it's the religious leaders that didn't get it because they were trusting in all of this outward stuff and all of this cleansing and purifying and whatever else to try to make themselves right with God so they can be um, holier than thou. And honestly, they were figuring out that, look, this, this ritual, this tradition, this, it's not cleansing me. Verse 11, but when the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, wow. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Y'all catch what he's saying. Jesus went to the very presence of God. The heavenly tabernacle. And he paid for sins once for all. And he didn't go with some bull blood or goat blood or whatever else. He went with his 
own blood into the holy of holes and told the Father, I paid for it all. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I love this. I love this. And here's why. Because so many times you and I are sitting in our own darkness by the sin that has overtaken us and we're walking around with guilty consciences all the time. And as Christians, we've heard over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus forgives you of your sin and you can be right with him. But we don't know to the extent that we have been cleansed and forgiven. And it's saying right here, because of a perfect sacrifice, not on this earth, not with copies of the things that were to come, not with blood of bulls and goats and calves, but God himself in human form, offering himself as a sacrifice on our behalf has cleansed us far deeper and far more reaching than any blood of bulls and calves or anything else. He, he didn't get sacrificed and his blood be put in an earthly temple. He got sacrificed and his blood was sprinkled in the heavenly temple for cleansing to the deepest degree. How many of you would love to be in a place where your conscience was even clear? That we don't have to walk around, and guys, this is, this is me right now, walking around in guilt and shame a lot of times, hindered from the work I could be doing with the Lord because I'm still carrying the weight of all of that. And Hebrews is saying one of the lessons that we can learn about the sacrifice of Jesus is he wants to cleanse us to the nth degree and wash our insides clean so that we can walk around in complete freedom because of his sacrifice, totally able to surrender and follow him with all that we are. Now look at this. He wants to cleanse our conscience from dead works. Serve the living God. Verse 15, for this reason, he, the Messiah, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under that first covenant, 
Those who have been called may receive the promise of the what? There's that word inheritance. Eternal inheritance. And see, God knew that under the first covenant, none of us could stand. As a matter of fact, I think that's why he even gave us that first covenant. Because he wanted us to see it for ourselves. He wanted us to see how much we needed Jesus. And he said, but look, this next part of chapter 9, we're not going to read it, but I told you before how it talked about there had to be a death of, of somebody that was a part of the covenant before you can make a new covenant. Well, guess what? Jesus died. So now it's a new covenant. And he says, I want you to walk in the power of what Jesus has supplied for you through his shed blood in the more perfect tabernacle. dead works and understand that this is a problem for me and one of my prayers over the last I don't know it has to be at least 15 years has been God cleanse my conscience from dead works so I can serve the living God and you know where that comes from is what I just read because When I was struggling so much with my flesh and the unclear conscience that came from constantly giving into my flesh. And last week we read those scriptures, you know, hey, if you keep on sinning willfully, there no longer remains a sacrifice from Hebrews chapter 6. And so my conscience got totally messed up. And here's why, because I kept listening to Satan and giving in to temptation. And so my heart and my mind got used to listening to the voice of the enemy. So much so that it was hard for me to hear the voice of God. And I would give in and I would give in. And, and then I'd say, no, I don't want to do that. And I'd come back and I'd pray to God, forgive me. Just, you know, and I'd try to do things that would make it better and whatever else. And I'd give in again and I'd give in again. And then, you know, because. 
I gave myself over to the enemy over and over and over again. I got used to hearing his voice. And to this day, I struggle to hear God's voice because of my poor choices back then. But what happens is we end up in a position like that and then we begin to perform dead works. Well, Ernie, what's, what's a dead work? Okay. Well, it's where we feel like we have to make things right with God. And we begin performing for him to love us. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, I got to. I messed up so bad. I got to make sure I prayed at least at least 15 minutes a day. Man, I gotta, I gotta go get rebaptized. If you've seen my life, you know how I've been living. I, I, I just, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't keep going. I, I just need to get baptized again. I... I just need to go to the altar. I need to, Sunday morning. I gotta go to the altar. And I got you know every Sunday morning. I gotta get there. I gotta get there. You know, I hear a lot of times about the, um, especially the teenagers who are struggling so much with identity and, and with being loved. You know that that start doing things to destroy their own body. You know, um, and I, I, there was a. Sometimes people get back so deep in sin that in order for them to try to feel better about themselves, they start inflicting wounds on their own body, scraping themselves with rocks, whatever it is. Those are dead works, guys. They don't produce a thing. They don't cleanse us. They don't make us feel better in the long run. They hurt us. God who is in heaven a savior who's sitting on a throne until his enemies can be made a footstool for his feet having finished everything and he's just waiting for the moment when God says it's time when he can set everything And that God is looking at us and he's saying, you guys are still acting like my sacrifice is only good enough to cover this much. You guys still haven't realized talk about 
living out our Christian life. And don't get me wrong, everything I've said about the fact that when God puts us in positions to reveal where our trust is, he's doing it to see where our heart lies. And somebody who truly has come to the place where they trusted Jesus, that will bear itself out in everyday life. It's utmost important that we live for Jesus in the everyday life. But understand that our qualification for the inheritance is not based on anything we can do because it can never be good enough. And that's what we keep figuring out. When we tr keep trying to make ourselves right with God by things that we do, we keep figuring out it's not enough. And that's what has us so wrapped up and so walking in darkness from day to day to day is because we keep making efforts and keep making efforts and keep making efforts and we've fallen short every time. And it's just, and God's like, when are you going to see? When are you going to see? When, when are you going to totally surrender to what I have done for you through the cross? Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year, make perfect those who draw near. That's everything I've just been saying. There's no way the law can do that. It can't make us perfect. Otherwise, they would have quit offering the sacrifices. Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. So why in the world... <laughs> We keep offering the same sacrifices because, you know, they're not cleansing us. They're not doing a good, anything for us. It's just over and over, year by year by year by year. We just got this perpetual thing going and it's just not accomplishing a thing. Verse 3, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, who's he talking about? When he comes into the world, Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In wholehearted offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Now, I love this because Dennis said earlier when he was about to... Um, not sing. He said, the only one who can enter heaven is the one who does the will of God. Right? And that's Jesus' words. And it's accurate to the T. And I love this because Jesus is saying it's not all these sacrifices that we keep offering time after time after time after time that are going to make our consciences clear. It's not. It's actually doing the will of God. But this is what he says. Well, I hope you and I are thinking right now. Okay, there's no way. There's no way. 
Let me say here, take. I know that it takes us doing the will of God all the time for me to enter into heaven. I know that. And but I know me. And I know what we've just been discussing. And I know every human since the beginning of time. And I know the children of Israel. And this is what we've walked through time and time and time and time again. It's not going to happen. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to do his will. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be a time where I mess up. And I love this because God is saying, look, this is not about bulls and goats and cows. This is about someone who came and put on flesh. And then did God's will perfectly to a T so that he could die for us and then give us his life, his perfect life, in place of ours. And Jesus says, guess what? I've already lived it. Are you going to trust me? I've already lived it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about how much we trust Him to make us right with the Father. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Look at, look at uh, verse 11 real quick. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Ooh, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. One offering for all time makes us perfect before God. And guys, if we could fall into the loving arms of a Savior who wants to walk it for us. <laughs> Who's already walked it. And he gave us I don't know if you're like me. <clears throat> and it's really easy for you to cross over and start thinking, okay, how can I make myself right with God today? And you're starting to realize, wait a minute, somebody has already come and made me right with God. You want to talk to me about that? You want to come pray about that? You want to thank God for what He's done for you. Or maybe you just you you are eat up with shame and guilt, and you know it, and that's that's what drives you to keep trying to perform for God's love and acceptance. And you're realizing for the first time that God wants to do something with that. Like His sacrifice is not just so somebody can stand up here and tell you you're forgiven. Okay, pie in the sky when I die. But what about now? 
and you're realizing, hey, wait a minute, I've got, I've got some stuff I need to deal with. Because this is eating me up. And you want to get before God and ask Him to cleanse your conscience. And this is your opportunity as well. Page 275, stand.